I'm so glad you're joining us for this episode of Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. You can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, at Lisa Evers. Now, in this episode, we're focusing on hate crimes and homophobia. In the aftermath of the Orlando tragedy, a massacre of almost unprecedented proportions, we're taking a look at the larger issue of why there is so much hatred directed towards the LGBT community. Now, we heard from our elected officials, from our president, from our attorney general, that what we saw in Orlando was not just a hate crime, but also an act of terrorism. Yet for many people in our LGBT communities, the daily fear that they have to live with is something that many people don't understand. So what we're talking about in this episode is what is behind that hate, where does homophobia come from, and what is it like for people who have to live with that fear and confront it, the silent fear on a daily basis. Let me introduce our great panel to you right now. Joining us is T.O. Louie, his real name, government name, Luis Perego Moreno. He is the uh, executive producer of Prime Latino Media. They are the largest producer on the East Coast of content. And also he works with many actors and musicians. He's also a multimedia educator and activist. Louis, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. We, we really appreciate it. Also with us, you may have heard his interview on Ebro in the Morning with Ebro, Laura Stiles, and Rosenberg, or seen it on Hot97.com. He is an openly gay rapper. His name is Cakes the Killer, and he's with us right now. Cakes, thanks so much for Thank being with for us. Thank you for having me. We really appreciate it. Also with us is Tom Verney. He is a former NYPD detective. He's openly gay. He's also a diversity consultant for an organization that deals with police departments around the country on diversity issues. And Tom, you've also investigated hate crimes for many years with the NYPD. So I want to start with you on this. When they say Orlando was a hate crime and also an act of terror, have you ever heard anything like that? Well, this uh, incident that took place in Orlando was clearly unprecedented on, on a number of different levels. We've had hate crimes in New York City, around the country, anti-LGBT, anti-gay hate crimes that have been going on for years. Uh, I mean, in the 10 or so years that I was the uh, LGBT liaison on behalf of the NYPD, I had tracked, I think it was about seven or 800 hate crimes. That were, These are the ones that are reported. There's a lot of hate crimes that are not reported to the police. Because police, you know, people don't always come to the police with their problems for a number of reasons, right? So, so this, I would imagine that number is probably double or triple the amount that we actually documented. Uh, many times I would have to be kind of like the, the middle person to go in and actually take that report for the first time from someone who's attacked by one of the organizations that, that these people have gone to. Now you introduce the, uh, the concept of terrorism to that. It just you know, it brings it to a whole other level. We have to worry about not only international terrorism, ISIS-inspired terrorism or ISIS-directed terrorism, but there's also domestic terrorism that, that takes place across this country as well that people forget about a lot of times, too. So we have to keep our eyes out across the board. Across the board on everything. Yeah. Cakes the Killer, as an openly gay rapper, as mm -hmm. a young African-American male, have there been times when you've been afraid or concerned? Well, for me, I feel like there's always times when you can be in certain situations where it could be kind of problematic. But I think the main thing that I live my life based on is visibility. I think that's very important. Um, we have a lot of visibility in the LGBT community recently, but I feel like that the more visibility we get, we're also going to get a lot of backlash from people because people take it as, you know, you're an outlier. Why are you feeling so proud to be, you know, a sin or an abomination. So, but for me, I feel like people just need to realize that the more visibility we have, it's better for us. And just to be open, and in terms of this happening in a nightclub, mm -hmm. you know, on Latin night, it was 
um, a gay LGBT club. There were a lot of people saying, you know, the club is the one place where you feel like you can be really free yeah. and like really safe. Tell Especially us about that. Especially for being a gay person, you know, walking the streets, sometimes it isn't always safe. So for you to go to a club, that's kind of like your sanctuary. So that's why it is kind of important. And a lot of clubs are getting kind of like tense now because if we can't even go to a club and have a daiquiri, like where can we go to really just be ourselves, you know? So, yeah, that is reality right now. Tio Louie, in terms of this, this was Latin night at Club Pulse in Orlando. Latino community obviously targeted just from common sense, regardless of what the investigators are saying at this point. What was your reaction when you heard this? Because you have family ties in Orlando. Yeah, as a Latino gay man, uh, personally impacted emotionally, also because my family has lived there for 36 years since 1980. So I've seen Orlando grow. When we first moved there in 1980, there was little to no Latino population, and now there's a great preponderance of Latinos there. I mean, of the 49 people killed, you know, it was Latin night, 23 who were killed were from the island of Puerto Rico, on top of LGBT and allies who were Latino in the club. So it hits you home in so many ways, especially as a Latino gay man who's been going to Orlando for decades and to see it happen there when you would almost expect it to happen in New York City. I mean, we know New York is a major target for terrorism and attacks on many levels, but it's something you would have never dreamt of. You would never have thought of in, 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 in club, Orlando. In a nightclub, right. yeah. and a small nightclub, because that's not even, there's a larger club called the Parliament House. Mm -hmm. So it's just, it was tragic on many levels. And Tom, you've been to that club. Tell us about it. Yeah. The Club Pulse in Orlando. Yeah, I've been to Pulse. They have um, a, a a, an event down in Orlando called Gay Days. It usually happens like the first week of June, right? So, uh, and, and when you attend that event, it's a multi-day event, and people generally will uh, partake in going to the local clubs, such as Pulse and the Parliament House, for that matter. Um, and as Louis had mentioned, Pulse is not even one of the larger clubs, but yet you're talking about, on that night, three to 400 people, and it could fit more, potentially. And just like any club, it's going to be dark, it's going to be loud, you're going to have people drinking and maybe smoking and doing some other things. So when something like that breaks loose, it's going to be absolute panic. People are going to be completely disoriented, uh, and they're going to be, of course, trying to run for the exits, which are few. So then you're going to have the stampede. So a lot of times people get hurt or maybe even killed in the stampede, getting to the exit. Never mind what the actual psychotic mutant is doing, running around shooting people. So that's, you know, so this, it's just problematic on a lot of different levels when you have an incident that takes place in a confined space like that. Like we've seen some of these other mass shootings, you know, in movie theaters and whatnot. It's, it's always going to be a mess. And, 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 and paranoia and panic. Yeah. Cakes, do you feel differently now since this happened? Like, will you feel differently going into a club um, a little bit? No, because I feel like you shouldn't live your life in fear. I feel like this incident happened in a club, I could get attacked getting on the L train. So I feel like you shouldn't live your life um, in fear. In New York, there has been many parties that are still LGBT, LGBT based, and it only put fire underneath them to you know, make the parties bigger, make the parties gayer, and keep living your life the way you want to. And just not letting the fear, not letting the fear dominate. No, because that lets the person that's giving you the fear win, and you can't live like that. Tio Louis, when you hear him say that, what do you think? It's interesting, you know, happened in Orlando, but, you know, immediately to uh, the following day, I think it was, or two days later, there was a vigil in New York City. Mm -hmm. And it was so empowering. And I went because it is important as the LGBT community. And I came out seven years after Stonewall, which was in, you know, 1969. 
So I've been part of the movement for decades. But I thought it was important that we showed up in numbers to prove, no, we will not be And across be generations, fear. too. But what was yeah. really interesting, Friday night I went to a concert at Carnegie Hall by an openly gay singer with a huge gay following. And it was for the first time, I have to say, that I felt in the week that this had been happening that was emotionally wrenching, where I felt extra proud, but in respect to, you know what? I am not going to be beaten down. You are not going to scare me anymore. And I am not going to fear physical attack. And I'm going to stand up to it. And it was the first time I'd have to say in my life that I felt that way. So out of everything bad, does something good come out of it? And I think, yes, we're more united as a community. We're not going to take this. We're not going to live in fear. And we're going to fight back. All right. And we're going to talk more when we come back about the gunman, this this mass killer, because startling revelations about him, we'll find out, is he typical of this type of individual, or is this a case really unlike anything we've ever seen? This is Street Soldiers. I'm Lisa Evers. We'll be back right after this. Yeah, yeah, NYC, what up? You already know who this is. Your boy Uncle Murder, a.k.a. East New York. And right now you're listening to Street Soldiers live on Hot 97 with Lisa Evers. Real people, real issues, real politics. You heard? Welcome back to Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. Follow me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and everywhere else at Lisa Evers. What we're focusing on in this episode, hate crimes and homophobia, and we have an amazing panel for you to tackle this tough discussion. Joining us in studio, Tio Louis, a.k.a. Luis Perego Moreno. He's the executive producer of Prime Latino Media and also an educator and multimedia creator himself. Also joining us is Cakes the Killer, originally from New Jersey, but now repping Brooklyn. He's an openly gay rapper. Also with us, Tom Verney. He's a former NYPD detective. His website is called offbeatcop.com. He is openly gay and has investigated hate crimes for years. Tom, I want to start with you on this. In terms of this killer, this this gunman, this terrorist, what he's being called, does he fit any kind of law enforcement profile of people who do these kind of crimes? Well, what's interesting about this case is that he he fits a lot of different profiles. So this guy clearly is is a terrorist. He was born here in, in the United States, right? So it's a domestic terrorist, but yet he has ISIS-inspired ideals according to his own rantings. Uh, so that would, you know, that would kind of bring in some uh, international flavor to it. Uh, and then also, obviously, he clearly targeted this club as a gay club. Whether or not he knew it was Latino night or not uh, is, is still up for speculation because we don't think we have enough information yet to, to point to that. So, but the fact that he targeted a gay club, he cl- clearly had uh, homophobic tendencies. There's also been some reporting that he may be gay himself. Uh, he may have struggled with his own sexuality, although he was married to a woman. Uh, but that's not uncommon either. You know, there there have been a number of attacks that have occurred against a gay community where the, the perpetrator was actually gay, you know, and had this what's that's called true. internalized homophobia and was so fearful to come out to anyone that they actually go out and attack people to prove that they're not gay to their friends or family or what wow. have you. Yeah. What do you think about that, Cakes? I just think it's so many layers to any story, but I think the main focus is that people died, which is the, the main important thing. And, and rest in peace to and, all the victims yeah, and yeah, to the survivors. Yeah, sure. You know, our prayers and thoughts with you and, and also with the family members, too. Because it's so many cultural and different variables that we could attribute to why this person did this thing. But at the end of the day, he took his own life, so we will never get the full story anyway. So I think the main thing that we need to focus on, how what can we do to the system to make sure things like this don't happen anymore? Well, what about the homophobia? Let's talk about yeah. that. Because, you know, we and you know, as a, as a Street Soldiers list, listener, 
and viewer, we have done shows on hip hop and homophobia. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's like in terms of the hip hop, for you to come out, be openly gay and be doing your music and mm -hmm. do it, you know, progressing in the hip hop industry and the culture is is commendable. A lot of people are really behind you for that, but they're yeah. also, you know, it's people are saying like, why did this take so long? Yeah. You know, this should have happened a long time ago. Well, what do you think about well, that? Well, just as many people are saying, why did this take so long? Are there still the same people that are saying, why is this happening? Like a lot of people who are still diehard hip hop fans still have a problem with me. But the thing that I say is, the first of the month is every month and I have to pay my bills. Like, you know what I'm saying? And I'm doing what I love. So. For me, it's all about the visibility. And in regards to the situation in Orlando, people died, and we need to look at it as that. Like, it was a massacre, regardless if they were gay or straight. We need to figure out policies where things like this don't happen. But what kind of policies can you have? But I love how you're also touching on homophobia as a Latino. You know, this is a problem in my culture, and yeah. it's cultural conditioning. So again, out of, you know, always looking at the glass half full, that the good thing that has come about this uh, case is it's gotten the Latino community to talk about LGBT. It's gotten them to talk about it. I mean, to begin with, the 49 people, you know, who were killed and the 53 injured, not everybody was out to their family. No. So this forced some people to come oh, out. So there must have been some, some really... Uh, and some people who, you know, some family members who got it for the first time and still said to their kids, I love you. Uh, while also some said, I love you, but it's against my religion. But tragedy shouldn't be a reason why we have these conversations right. anyway. Right. In the first place. Right. Yeah. But if it's getting my community to talk about it, because this is still not top radar. I mean, gay and lesbian is still not radar. And the, you know, the assumption is that we all, you know, all gay men want to dress up as women. So then you get the whole layer of trans, being a transvestite. And transgender is like a foreign planet still in my community. Yeah. So it's getting us to talk about each of these different groups and to embrace them and to talk about them in regard to human rights. And, and talk about human rights in general. Yeah, I mean, and that, what you mentioned a second ago, that when you talk about something good coming out of a tragedy, you know, we'd hate, and I, I agree with you were saying too, Cakes, that you shouldn't have to have you know, 49 people killed and 53 people injured to have, that to have a conversation yeah. about something that goes on every day and the you know, people that are part of everyone's life. Yeah, you know, this is, we're all part of the, the fabric of everyone's life. You know, Until we are your, your media people, we are your rappers, we are your police officers. Right. So Family members. Family members, friends, sisters, brothers, neighbors, cousins, sisters, nephews. brothers, exactly. Yeah. But yeah. until it, it happens to your family, until it happens in your community. Again, the assumption would be if something like this happened in New York, the whole world knows that, you know, New York and San Francisco are the epicenter of the gay community in the United States and Los Angeles. To happen in Orlando and to specifically impact the Latino community is big in so many ways. So I'm saying let's use this tragedy as an opportunity to engage our community in dialogue as we document parents saying, I love you, as opposed to 20, 30 years ago, it's I'd rather have a dead son than a gay son. Right. Than right. a gay right. son with that yeah. attitude. Right. Cakes, what about you growing up, because you grew up in Jersey, right? Yeah. In Englewood? Mm -hmm. And you know, nice community. Did you feel you could be yourself? As you were growing up, or what was your situation? I like? think the main thing about being if you're comfortable talking about being it. yourself, it starts first at home. And I came out in the third grade, and thank God my mother didn't kick me out of the house, or I would probably be in a different situation then. But I believe that stability starts at home first, and so that gave me the 
the headspace where I didn't care what someone on the street said about me because I didn't know you weren't putting food on my in my stomach or clothes on my back. And did she say certain things to you to encourage you? And I think she initially she did have her shock and she did have her, you know, things that she had to get over. But at the end of the day, I'm her son. And that was just her her mentality that I love you regardless. So, and yeah. you knew like third grade is like 11 I or knew, 12, I right? I think I knew in the womb. <laughs> I'm just going <laughs> to keep it real. Yeah, but I, I think knew. that's also what's so wonderful about the young generation to hear from someone like you. I'm assuming you're in your 20s. Yeah, 25. Right. That, <laughs> that you were able to come out in the third grade. Mm-hmm. And I celebrate that. And we're seeing much more of that happening across all cultural lines in the U.S. Not that it's a perfect world, but it's great. And I embrace hearing that yeah. because I couldn't even come out in high school mm-hmm. in my era. And what kind of pressure does that put on you when you when you have to hide who you are? Because there still are people, you know, there, there's still a lot of people that for whatever reason, family, religious, occupation, feel that they can't be who they truly are. What does that do to you psychologically, Tom? Well, you know, it's funny. What's interesting is that, so I'm obviously you know, white and I come from an Italian Roman Catholic background, right? And, and he's Latino, he's black. So, but the interesting thing is that we all have almost the exact same story as far as coming out to our parents and or friends and or family in that we were fearful to do so because of our, you know, individual cultural upbringings and religious upbringings and even racial upbringings it's all the same. Right. Everyone I know that's black, Hispanic, Jewish, Muslim have have a, have the same general story in that they their backgrounds, their religious backgrounds and their cultural backgrounds to a large degree make them feel as if they are not accepted. And Cakes, it, you that, don't think that's it's the reinforced same? through society, right. you know, but you don't I think, think it's the some same? cultures have different outlooks on it. And I think culturally people of color have a stronger ties with Christianity and they kind of right. take it a little bit differently. So I think no, I no, no less differently than the Muslim culture as we see. Yeah, I don't think. Right. But also, with, was, with a with a Christian, with a Roman Catholic, is right. very yeah, right. Forbidden. Whether this guy well, look was what suffering. happened after the attack. There was that there was a reverend down in Florida that they came out and said right they should have yeah. done more. And there was another another reverend someplace else that said the same thing about you know uh, well, this is God's will and you know more damage should have been done. Mm-hmm. Really. Right. I mean, listen, I'm not a theologian, but my idea of religion is that we're all supposed to be one under the eyes of God, whatever God you believe in. But as time passes on and we learn more about this attacker, um, you know, and will we determine that there was internalized homophobia happening here? Yes, he was married twice. Yes, he had a child. Mm -hmm. And we know that happens a lot within the gay community, whether people embraced their sexuality. That he he was really gay and he couldn't accept it. Right, couldn't accept it. Again, because of the Muslim religion. You know, as a contributing factor when we were talking about Christianity, where there are correlations. But what I'm saying is different now is I'm, you know, with this horrible tragedy, I still celebrate that someone like you was able to come out in third grade. I would have had the crap beaten out of me in third grade. I could have had it too. Era. But did you have trouble at school? I mean, yeah, but I think bit? every every kid has problems in school. But what you were speaking about, about internalized homophobia, I believe if you're not living yourself to your full potential, you're always going to have physical and mental and psychological scarring. And I think that that sometimes it projects in people that want to, you know, hurt other gay people or it turns into other things. I just feel like people just need to genuinely be themselves. All right. We're on that note, we're going to take a short break. This is Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. You know where to find me, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, everywhere else, at Lisa Evers. We'll be back with more of our discussion on hate crimes and homophobia right after this. 
New York City, it's Miguel, and you're tuning to the Street Soldiers with Lisa Evers. Real people, real issues, and real politics. Only on Hot 97. Welcome back to Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers, on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, everywhere else, at Lisa Evers. And in this episode, we're focusing on hate crimes and homophobia with a great panel for you. Joining us, Tio Louie, Luis Perego Moreno. He's the executive producer of Prime Latino Media. Also with us, the openly gay rapper, Cakes Tequila. And also Tom Bernie, a former NYPD detective, openly gay, and former hate crimes investigator. In terms of the pressures, Cakes, that are on young people who are LGBT, what are those pressures like? I think the pressures are just standing your truth and being able to be genuinely yourself, which is something that if you are a straight cis male, you don't really have those pressures because you just get up, put on your basketball cap, and you just can live your life. But I feel like for a lot of LGBT-identified people, it's how can I be myself without getting stares on the train or making someone else feel comfortable or putting myself in harm's way? So I think it's just living life constantly in your head, thinking and policing your mannerisms, how you speak, and even just, you know, the way you do your hair. So it's it's a lot of pressure. Do you feel at certain times or at certain places where you go that you have to look a certain way or change how you look oh. or change how you act so that you're not going to attract attention or negative attention? There's so many stories. I even know friends even to this day of like us going to the club. You know, you have your carry-on bag. You put your skirt with your heels in the bag, change in the bathroom, and then when you leave, you got to put it back and get into your, like, you know, your more heteronormative clothes. It just depends on the, the neighborhood you're in. It depends on, you know, what you want to project. But there are, like, basically to, to be gay in the society, even though you know, it is very progressive. You, it's always policing yourself. And just, and just always being ready for that. Tom, when you when you were looking in the, in, into the hate crimes and the hate crimes, are there certain communities where they're more prevalent? Are there are there certain economic groups that are more prone to that? What did what did you see? Was there any were there any types of patterns? Well, and what's interesting is that that, that was the whole purpose for me tracking them. Uh, so what would happen is a lot of times people don't go to the police, right? Uh, to, to report these crimes. If they did, then the Hate Crimes Task Force, which is a, a whole a unit of detectives that goes out and, and investigates this stuff, they, they would go out and do that. I would come in a lot of times where people either didn't go to the police or I was contacted by a third party saying that someone got attacked. I would take the initial report and then you know kind of corroborate with the Hate Crimes Task Force to have investigated. But what happened, well, interestingly enough, historically, Everyone thinks of the gay community being like in, a, in the village, right? In village or Chelsea. But now what's happening is the, the gay community is all over the city. You know, the, the, there's a large gay community in Bed-Stuy. There's a large gay community in the South Bronx. As a matter of fact, the Bronx has, uh, is the borough with the largest number of, of same-sex parents raising children. Right. Right, Harlem has a huge community up in Harlem. Uh, so the, the community now is kind of spread out. The, the, car, the, 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 uh, the pattern was anyone who gets attacked in the southern part of Manhattan generally many times doesn't live there and the perpetrators are not generally from that area but in the outer boroughs and even in northern manhattan the people who get attacked in harlem people who get attacked in bedsty generally live in those areas and the perpetrators generally live in those areas so as it's well. very local it's a local thing generally the, the perpetrators of, of, of these uh, anti-gay crimes are usually of adolescent age range so we're talking like teenage people up to like uh, mid to late 20s or and or early 30s for that matter. So that's kind of the segment of the population that generally attacks people that they either know to be gay or perceive to be gay based on maybe the way that they're acting. And so if they're, if they're acting gay, 
We've we've had incidents where people who were attacked got attacked because the, the perpetrator thought they were gay and they were 100 percent straight. Right. But they had be happened to be walking I on Christopher one of those Street. Stories, right. Yeah. They were the guy who was shot down here in the West Village right. a couple of years ago. Who you know, and and uh, we've had people who are attacked because they happen to be walking on Bleecker Street or Christmas Street in the village, and they're 100 percent heterosexual. But that's the that's that's the mentality that we have to look out for, and as a community, as a New York City community, and even as a community of uh, as a country, we have to kind of we have we have to let that go. We got to let it go. You may not understand what it is to be gay or to be transgender, and that's okay. I'm not here to change anyone's opinion, you know, or anyone's religious beliefs. But you know what? You the have same to respect way, the human rights of everybody. The same way that I would be stopping someone for beating somebody to the ground because they were black or because they were Hispanic or because of whatever their difference is, people have to stand up for one another. Otherwise, we are doomed as a country. That is not what this country was founded upon, and that's not how we are going to survive as a society if we let if we let that stuff happen. Teo Lou, the um, first openly gay uh, city council member, Richie Torres, from the Bronx, Latino. Do you see a change, though, in terms of the attitudes in the Latino community? Of course it's changing. You know, the more media coverage and that we're injected in characters throughout media, because if you don't, you know, I, I, my background is also making documentaries, and I'm always very clear that worse than being misrepresented as a person of color in media is being omitted. So when we don't see ourselves in media and broad, you know, media down to social media, broadcast television, cable. When you're invisible. When we're invisible, that's where people don't get to understand it. It only contributes to ignorance. But when you were talking also about communities of color and being safe. I think in New York City there are communities where people feel safe haven. For the last 40 years, blacks and Latinos from throughout the other four boroughs, Bronx, Brooklyn, and Queens especially, have always felt when coming out and enjoying safely their gay identity, they've always come to the village and specifically down Christopher Street, down to the piers. So on one hand, and you'll see now in the gay pride parade, you see thousands of black and Latino, gay and lesbian, transgender youth. So things are changing. And by virtue of Cake saying, I was able to come out in third grade. So we're seeing now at the gay pride parade, Mm -hmm. you're seeing 12 year olds, 13 year olds, 14 year olds, something that 30, 40 years ago, you didn't see them that young. They're changing, but I think the visibility is great, but I think we should still be having conversations in our little pockets so things don't keep happening. Because that's great that you can go to the you know, the pier and be like a young Latino trans woman, but that doesn't mean that when you get on the train to go back to Bed-Stuy that it's the same reality. I don't care how much people love getting their hair and makeup done by, you know, gay men or people love watching RuPaul on Drag Race. That reality doesn't always translate in these streets. Like The, gl- the glamour is not yeah, there. Yeah, the glamour the is not always there. The glamour the is not gutter. there when you have to take it all off and like you said, yeah. put on your put on other clothes just yeah. to get on the train and, ride, get, and ride the train. Yeah. But Cage, for you, you know, in the, moving in the hip-hop in the hip hop sphere and yeah. in the hip hop world, working with the different people that you have to work with, have you encountered any, not to put any names on blast, yeah. but in terms of the attitudes, have you encountered some of those attitudes that are still well, there? Well, for me, I think any homophobia that I have experienced in my workplace, it, it was never brought to me. I mean, I'm not saying that I've, I, anybody that didn't want to work with me because of my sexual orientation just didn't work with me. And that's fine because I'm not here. I don't think my presence is to convince everyone that being gay is okay. Right. But that doesn't mean that you should 
take away uh, uh, an opportunity from me just because of my orientation. Now, when he, when you were on with Ebro in the yeah. AM in the morning show, Ebro said he wanted to play your music first and then say you were a gay rapper so yeah. people that wouldn't affect how people thought of your music what did you think about that like I how do you how should people look at cakes to kill it as a rapper who happens to be gay as a gay rapper or does that not even the labels don't matter well for me i put a lot of gay narratives into my music because a rap to me is all about speaking your truth and, and right. you know exactly. it, it has to be exactly. real so i can't talk about selling drugs and you know smashing girls because I don't do that on a day-to-day -day basis but for me I think it's good that I'm still able to put those narratives in my story because we are misrepresented in the hip-hop community but I also think that I'm just a rapper first like there's no such thing as gay mailman they're just a gay mailman so I think that that's how I think about it I'm just a rapper who just speaks on what I know Tom what about in law enforcement because there was there was a big fight within the NYPD oh, yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, when I came out, I, well, I I was outed actually. I'm talking like 1993. So this is, this is back in the day. I don't even know if you were born yet, but you know, but this is back in the day where being out, being openly an openly gay police officer in the early 90s was not cool. And there were a number of people who had a real issue with that. Mm. And you know, my whole thing was, uh, you know, I made no business. I, I I wasn't necessarily hiding who I was, but I also wasn't really forthcoming with what my personal life was because that's not your business. So when people found out about my about my personal business and then decided to choose to treat me a certain way, and I just want to be treated the way I was last week. Right. You know, right? So right. I wasn't looking for special treatment. But when a few came forward, although none of them to my face, of course, right? Because everything's done. You know, it's always, you're always tougher when you're, you know, saying things behind people back. But I, I made it very well known. I said, listen, you don't have to agree with what I do in my personal life, but... Uh, we w all went through the same training, went through the same police academy. I graduated. I earned the right to be here. I'm out in the street. I'm doing good for King Country. And if you don't want to work with me, that's a problem. And, and we can handle that. I knew there were different ways I could handle that. Yeah, I could make an EEO complaint. You know, I could tell my captain about it. But I said, you know, if, if, we, if we have to go down to the basement and have a, a conversation. Right, you know exactly. What I mean? <laughs> and then you can, and then you can talk about why a gay man broke your nose. So it's just a matter. But I didn't feel like I had to... Why should I have to go do that when if we have a civil conversation and educate one another about it, then hopefully by the end of that conversation, you will learn something and then treat me just the same way you treated me last week when we were all friends. What about this? Do you, you, you bring that up about the fight, you know, the fighting or there whatever. There were cops that actually got in fights with other cops back in the day. But, and, and the, but those, there's stereotype, there, there are stereotypes that I think still exist about about the LGBT community, especially about gay men. Yeah. You, yeah. you talk like we look at gays in the military about the 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 quote unquote idea of masculinity. What about what about that? I just feel like gays are no longer playing these very submissive roles of even wanting to be assimilated into straight culture. I think gays people have a stronger identity of themselves where we're fighting for the things that we need. There's even um, a documentary out now called Check It, and it's about a gay gang. The first. Um, on documented gay gang in like the DMV area and these are gay people that are teaming up and are not letting you you know bully or pick on or you know make anyone feel comfortable so I feel like gay people are really like they're not with it anymore you know as we're gathered now in response to the Orlando massacre I also as a perennial optimist have to look especially as Tom cited that 20 you know in 1993 when you were first outed mm -hmm. as a police detective uh, officer, officer yeah. um, that things have changed for the better mm -hmm. because there have been more media representations of us. 20, yeah. In 1993, I was in education working with teenagers. I couldn't be out. Mm -hmm. right. I could today. 
I can today, and I am today. All right, on that note, uh, this is Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. We're talking about hate crimes and homophobia. And we come when we come back, I'm going to ask our guests what they think about personal safety when you're in public places after Orlando. That's coming up next. Hey, what's up? This is your girl, Sierra, and this is Street Soldiers with Lisa Evers. Real issues, real politics, baby, and real people only on Hot 97. Welcome back to Street Soldiers. I'm your host, Lisa Evers. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at Lisa Evers and 24-7 on LisaEvers.com where we post all of our Street Soldiers radio and TV shows. In this episode, we're focusing on hate crimes and homophobia and have an amazing panel discussing this issue with us. Tio Louie, Luis Perego Moreno, he is the executive producer of Prime Latino Media. Also with us is openly gay rapper Cakes Tequila and Tom Verney, a former NYPD detective who specialized in hate crimes investigations and now is a diversity consultant for police departments around the United States. Let's talk about safety because in terms of Orlando, in terms of the Pulse nightclub, one thing I kept hearing over and over again, people saying, okay, this was the one place we really felt like we could be totally free you know, the way you're free on a Friday night or a yeah, Saturday right. night and just having fun being yourself and, and doing whatever you want to do. And yet mm. now that's making people think a little bit differently about these public places. Cakes, what about you? Do you think differently now? Well, for me personally, I don't think differently now. I feel like I'm not going to let this incident, like, take away my freedom or take away my joy in life. I like to go out on the weekends and, you know, enjoy my life. And I think every day should be a celebration of my life as an LGBT person of color. So, no, I don't think I'm thinking about this, you know, this isn't going to hinder my pride parade moments or, you know, me celebrating. I feel like every day I wake up fully realized and I'm comfortable in my skin and I project that and people should follow suit. A lot of people that do bully people pick on the weak and I think people need to be fully, you know, comfortable in their skin at all times. Tom, what about the public safety? Because mm -hmm. the the day, you know, the, the morning after the Orlando massacre, the NYPD rolled out additional police officers yeah. in, in predominantly uh, LGBT neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. There was also a safety plan put in effect to really go after people who may be potential troublemakers in advance of Pride Week festivities and, and that type of thing. What's, what are your thoughts on personal safety at this point? Should people be concerned when they're in public places which, or public events out on the streets? I think people should be aware. I think being aware and being concerned, you know, if you're concerned, then it kind of overtakes your ability to have a good time, like Cakes was saying. I think people should absolutely go out there, go to your backyard parties, you know, go to your, like, go to your clubs, have a good time, get your, you know, get your party on. Um, but also, if you do go someplace, especially someplace that you're not familiar with, I would absolutely just keep in the back of your mind, just a little nugget, is to where can I get out of here if things go wrong? You know what I mean? So in, in a club, you know, there aren't too many exits to begin with, right? So you want to make sure that... And we heard mindful. those stories of people yeah. hiding in the bathroom, bathroom. stalls. Absolutely. And and so, you know, what I did, and, and I've seen this, uh, a couple of people have talked about this in other venues, that you want to be mindful of where the exits are. Uh, you want to be, if something were to, to, to go down, you know, can you get out? You know, where can you get out? Where would you go? You want to run it as far away from the scene as you can, and then at some point come back and talk to the police about what you saw. Uh, you want to be able to be able to have some place to ditch into if if things you know to 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 protect yourself, and if worst case scenario if you're stuck and it's just you and some crazy maniac, then you know what? Then, then all bets are off at that point. If 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 you're going down, I'd rather go down trying to punch that man's face in. You know what I mean? Grab that gun away or do what I have to do to fight. If I'm stuck where I can't get out, 
you know, then, then you'd want to fight. But ideally, you want to try to get out, get as many people as you can out, uh, you, yourself, your friends, and get to a point of safety. What, what about in, in, in terms of the drama that happens? And, and we've seen this. I'm, sh- I'm sure you've all been in situations where there's a, you know, a large gathering, whether it's a concert, whether it's a, a public event, a parade, something like that. Yep. And there's some type of a scuffle or you see this, this thing start, start to happen or whatever. And a lot of people now, too, I'm always surprised when we're there. They'll pull out the phone and everybody else, which, of course, I'm doing, too. But mm-hmm. they pull out the phone and people start recording yeah. and kind of stick around. Is that the time when you should be, as soon as you see that, should you be leaving before people start stampeding? Or, or what, I, what do you I think, I would. Tom? I mean, you know, everyone's curious. And nowadays that you can record this stuff on the spot and people are periscoping it and everything else. You have to make a decision as to what's what's more of a priority for you at that point, because you, you you'll see this on YouTube one one way or the other, right? So whether you get the credit for it or somebody else does, I'd rather be safe. I'd rather be in a place where I know that myself and my friends are safe. Get you know get us out, especially if somebody's got a weapon, right? Or and or multiple people got weapons, because people aren't really all that particular. People are not really good shots. Cops are not really all that good shots a lot of the time. So now you get somebody who's not trained to use a weapon, and they start firing around and firing as they're fighting. Who knows where that bullet's going? Right. So I'd rather be out of there at and, this point, and safe. It shouldn't. You shouldn't be spewing out any negativity on the internet anymore. Anyway, I feel like at this point we're so desensitized to it, where people, when they see you know people fighting on the trains, they're so quick to pull out their phones, opposed mm. to you know getting someone to break it up, or right. you know it just <laughs> True. we're so desensitized. So I feel like to continue in that is just wrong. This is a showtime. We should be putting an end to the violence. Yeah. That that's more what's more important because that person might, might not want. Could get killed in that yeah. instance. You know what I mean? No, so, exactly. You know, Instead so of just that, watching, that's what we need to worry about. For me, the change has been in mindset. I live in a historically gay neighborhood, which is the West Village, that has Christopher Street, and I'm in a relationship for nearly 17 years. And after a couple of drinks in the villages, we're walking through these small little side streets. My partner may want to hold my hand, and I've usually pushed it off. Because there have been hate crimes even in, in the this last day and five age, years. Teal Absolutely, in the last five years oh, yeah. in Chelsea, in the West Village, there was a murder on Eighth Street and Sixth Avenue. Yeah. So the stuff still happens, and so I say to him, you know, don't put us at risk. But since the US Orlando massacre, I have a whole new mindset and headspace now, where I'm like, I'm not going to let this stop me. I'm not going to let the fear drive my life. And we're holding hands. We're not engaging in public oral sex. We're simply (laughs) holding hands. Mm -hmm. And the more, you know, why is it that there's no problem seeing a heterosexual couple in a restaurant kiss or holding hands on the street, but two men can't do the same also? So the more they begin to see that this is part of the fabric of society, that this is a healthy public display of affection, between two people in a healthy relationship that do it periodically and we're going to do it from now on because I'm not going to stop. But why do people, Kegs, why do people see that as a threat? I don't think people see that as a threat. I just think it just deals with fragile masculinity and just, you know, I feel like a straight man literally feels like if there's a gay couple across the street and they're comfortable enough to be holding hands or making out, what does that say about me? Does that mean I'm in a gay neighborhood? Does that mean I approve that? Like, does that mean I'm gay? So I think it's more so just masculinity and how fragile it is. Cause the, the threat, and this whole concept of masculinity. Yeah, yeah. but it's also the threat is cultural conditioning. It's also religious. It's also religious. Yeah. Like when we explore where does this ignorance, because at the end of the day it boils down to ignorance. Where do these ignorant stereotypes come from? They come from church, they come from family, they come from culture, 
They come from neighborhood. And again, that's why I'm in media, because I believe in the power of media. And, and the images we put out there is what really alters mindsets and influences people. But you could feel how you feel if you don't like it. It just it gets to a point where if this becomes something physical, that's when it's a problem. You, act right. Upon it. right. Yeah. you can't legislate yeah. people's attitudes or what people believe in. And that's the beauty of this country. Yeah. Everyone's supposed to be able to believe whatever they want to believe. Three years ago, I proposed to my partner in uniform in front of the stone wall where after Doma fell when the Doma case came down with E.D. Windsor. Right, so there's a whole big crowd out there. I proposed to my partner in front of all these people, right? Which wasn't the intention. The, the intention, you know, we, we, everyone got, kind of got caught up in the moment or whatever. And, and it, that, it just the time seemed right. So I did it. So there I am. And then the picture went, someone took a picture of it and it went viral, right? Would you know that I got a complaint through internal affairs that someone felt that I should not have been proposing to another man in as uniform, a, as a male police officer, in, in uniform. uniform, their so biggest problem was. I had to. I had to get. I got called down to for an investigation. It would have been okay had you done it in civilian clothing, though, right? But there, but yeah, their, but their it, big gripe was. But that there you were did it in straight uniform. cops that have proposed to their girlfriends ah. in uniform oh. for years and years and years. There, and, and there was no down. problem. Yeah. With there are it. cops that dance well, during parades and that they don't get in trouble yeah, for that. I, I, I had think to that famous video. But you know what it boils down to. I thought it was good community relations myself, but you know how crazy is that? I had to go in and sit there and talk about and and the initial reaction was. Well, what would happen if a guy was walking down the street with his kids and he saw that happening? How would he explain that? And I says, you know what? That's not my problem. Well, right. they better get it's used not my to problem. it. Because for a year now, marriage equality is the law of the land. And in the words of Martin Luther King, you don't have to like us, but leave us alone. Right. And get right. used to it. because, And that's, again, why I invest in youth. They're our future. And the future youth will be, you know, 20 years from now, this is going to be so standard and typical that when your grandchild says, I'm dating someone and I'd like to bring the person over, that when they come through your door, you don't know if it's going to be male, female, transgender, whatever. But as long as you love your family member, you embrace their choices as long as they're healthy. Tom, what do you think as a, you know, you, you do your version of education as well mm -hmm. with, the, with the police departments on diversity too, for parents, for family members? In, in terms of talking with a, a member they believe is gay but hasn't come out to them, what do you think they should say? Well, I think, again, people are not always going to understand. Like, my mother didn't understand, not, neither did my father, right? So they, they didn't understand it, and my father, to, to some degree, didn't even agree with it. And, you know, his initial... talking about traditionally Italian-American yeah. Catholic family. Yeah, so okay. he, he was not for He's like, well, listen, no one in our family does that, so you need to stop doing that. <laughs> As if I could flip a switch and just stop doing it, right? Right. Yeah, and in the end, you know, he uh, came to realize that, you know, I was his only son, uh, so he had a choice to make, and it was either a choice to, to kind of learn as much as he could about it and kind of get over his own, you know, homophobia, and then accept me for who I was because I wasn't changing, right? And I think that's what we would advocate is, to, is for people who don't understand it, it's okay that you don't understand it, but if you took a second to learn and to educate yourself about it, because I think the greatest sin is for, is for a parent or, or, or uh, any family to discard their children. Oh, yeah. Because of, of this. And it happens all the time. It yes. happens. 40%, it's still happening. It's still 40 happening. of homeless youth identify as LGBT. Right. Right. And those are the ones who admit that they do. And the, the reality is there's probably 50 or 60% of homeless youth are probably LGBT. But a number of them don't identify it in surveys that have been done. 
you know, the True Colors Fund, where my partner works, that that's what they do. They're, they're trying to end homelessness among youth nationwide, particularly amongst LGBT youth. And that, that's, what they, that's their job because that's such a problem. So you have kids who are thrown out or kids who run away because sometimes they do feel comfortable looking after their parents and then their parents are beating the crap the out of them. reaction is there. Yeah. And, and it's, it's a very violent reaction. You have, have you run into anybody like that? Get out. A, a kid that had a bad coming out. Yeah. Yeah, I know a lot of kids. In, right. um, even there are still, you know, kids that run away from home and they end up, you know, unfortunately some of them have to do sex work to survive because at the end of the day, no one wants to be homeless and people need to eat. Right. So I think that it should be a conversation about people knowing how to handle things and Obviously, everyone is not going to be pro-gay or pro-this or pro-that, but there are people and these are their lives. So it should just Human be a certain beings. level of respect. Human beings. Yeah. Especially family. I mean, my mother passed away a year ago. I'm and sorry, Louis. No, thank you. And she loved me, yet she was never really able to embrace my homosexuality. And so I think her having lived in Orlando since 1980 to 2015, my mother was homophobic. She was a product of her culture and her time, 1932 Cuba. But I also, in my heart of hearts, know that had this happened, had, were she still alive today in Orlando, she would have lamented the passing of these young people and of those injured. And, and I think that's where we're going to see change when we put a human face to these people and and recognize that many of them are our family members. No, absolutely. On that note, I want to thank all of you for being with us for this episode of Street Soldiers on hate crimes and homophobia. I want to thank my entire team, Lisa, executive producer, Tom Capone, producer, Rose Daniels, digital producer, Mia Bell, on the boards here, uh, helping us uh, stay technically alive, mm -hmm. the one and only DJ Michael Medium, and everybody at Hot 97 and Fox 5 for supporting the show. And remember, you can catch up on Previous episodes of Street Soldiers Radio and TV on LisaEvers.com. Thank you so much for joining us. And remember, use your mind. It's your best weapon. I hope it's your only weapon. I'm Lisa Evers. Let's push for peace.